Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. How are you? How 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 is your big toe doing? Check check this check in on your big toe. And uh, what about that pinky? What about what what about your pinky toe? When was the last time you gave a shout out to your pinky toe? I, I guess I'm thinking all about feet because now I'm getting I'm getting pedicures for my athlete's foot, so now all I think about are feet. Oh yeah, it's going to develop into a foot fetish. Uh, I'm excited that you're here today. First of all, thank you for rating the podcast five stars on iTunes and all the comments. I love it. Thank you for sharing the podcast. I love that even more. So I appreciate you, and I appreciate the fact that you're still here, that you showed up that you chose to engage. And uh, today, we're going to talk about treating chronic suicidal ideation. And uh, we are specifying chronic because there is acute, you know, sometimes for me, I have chronic suicidal ideation. Like suicidal ideation is always on the table. It's, it's, it's always on the table. It's, it's uh, an acting they talk about you know, uh, play the scene like there's a gun in the room, right? And for me, there's always a gun in the room. Not literally. I would I would never buy a gun uh, for those reasons. But um, but yeah, I'm just aware, and I've accepted that it's always on the table. It's it's and there was a great quote. I have to I have to find it. Oh my god, I'm looking at note cards right now about uh, what the thing, all the things I want to talk about today. Where is it? It's never there when you want to find it. It's, I never can find the thing when I... Uh, okay. So, and this is by a woman named Kate. She said, suicide is the only thing that keeps me alive. Whenever everything else fails, all I have to do is consider suicide. And in two seconds, I'm as cheerful as a nitwit. But if I could not kill myself, ah, then I would. And I bring that up to say that um, having the thought of wanting to end your life isn't necessarily uh, an issue. It's not, it's not the, the goal, meaning that the goal is not to, for people who have chronic suicidal ideations, uh, to remove the ideations, to remove the thoughts uh, in some cases. For some people, that, that the thinking of ending their life is soothing, it's comforting, it's something that's always been with them, and, um, and to, it would, to, to remove it, to lose it, would be like uh, to lose a, a friend in some strange way. And there are times where that's how it feels for me. Now, is that always the case? No, but most of the time I resort to uh, suicidal ideations as a self-soothing technique, um, as a way to calm myself, as a way to reduce pain, emotional, psychological, any physical pain. Um, the fantasy of it all, 
Bill Burr talks about this in his stand-up where he says he never wants to end his life over major things. There's always something small like uh, he forgot, like he promised his wife he would make a pumpkin pie and uh, and he doesn't want to do it, you know, and so he just imagines himself just, uh, you know, falling through a plate glass and it, you know, shattering his throat or whatever. And so for some people, it can be acute like that. So I, I, I want to put that out there because, and, and not to say that we shouldn't take thoughts or ideas seriously. There's, we'll, we'll go over the, you know, to signs for when to take it um, more serious. Um, but however, for some people, you know, when someone like for myself is experiencing suicide ideations, you know, the questions that we also want to ask are obviously, is there a plan? Um, and are you capable of uh, completing the plan? Like if somebody says they're going to use a gun, you, you know, you want to ask, do you own a gun? Do you have access to a gun? Is it is it loaded? All these different questions, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, but let, I got way ahead of myself already. Let's, let's go back a little bit. Um, so as I said, suicidal ideation, the thoughts aren't always an emergency. For most people, the goal is to return um, to uh, your a baseline of suicidality, meaning that for some people, suicidality may be their default. That might be their baseline, that we might be trying to get them there. Um, and then sometimes what happens is there may be some acute stressor or trauma that might be escalating it, um, the suicidal ideations, um, in a way where now we realize it's an emergency situation versus their typical default of thinking. You know, because a lot of kids will um, say, you know, I'm going to kill myself. And most kids who say it don't do it. And even a smaller percentage actually attempt, and then a smaller percentage um, will go through with it. And that doesn't mean that we don't talk to our kids about it or we don't have a discussion. You definitely want to talk to someone who said it um, and figure out what was going on. Or if you yourself have said it or thought it, to be like, wow, what were the circumstances surrounding that? What was happening? What else was I feeling? Was I feeling hurt? Was I feeling rejected? Did I feel alone? Um, did I feel disempowered? Do I feel was I feeling hopeless? Like to kind of click through some of the emotions that you were feeling on top of that that may or maybe it was chronic pain or uh, chronic stress or you just feel trapped. Whatever those emotions were, to to kind of explore that and then that way it makes it a bit more manageable of like, okay, where can I find some hope in this hopelessness? Where, where, where is some, where's there a breath of fresh air in this feeling of, uh, of being trapped, right? When we look at the diagnoses for people who um, are suicidal, usually it's a borderline personality has a high percentage rate of about 10%. Mood disorders like anxiety, depression, things like that are usually around the 2% mark. Um, but the other diagnoses that are linked with suicidality are PTSD 
and substance abuse. And I want to bring those up because usually when someone ends their life, it's we, we talked about this before, um, it's not just one thing. It's a comorbidity, right? Usually there's drugs involved. There's usual, uh, usually a PTSD, um, you know, a mood disorder, and, uh, you know, two or three traumatic uh, life events or transitions or stressors. So it's never one specific thing. It could be a, a number of things that uh, led up to the event. Um, I, why do I keep smacking my lips? I want to apologize for that. When we look at the correlates of chronic suicidal ideation, and meaning what are some of the traits that people display when they have chronic suicidality, we're looking at uh, a difficulty tolerating aversive mental states. For instance, anguish. When, you know, when I'm angry, I have to go for a walk. I have to go for a very long walk or for a swim or I have to do yoga or yoga nidra or, um, you know, something discordant. So when we see people unable to or having a hard time managing extreme emotions, it could even be excitement for some people. It's not just about anger. Sometimes there could be too much excitement or too much stimulation. So that difficulty tolerating aversive mental states, uh, we, we know that as a, a correlate for chronic suicidality. That person just that just seems to always become unhinged. Um, who is, always seems to be like a little on the verge of uh, fracturing. The other correlate for chronic suicidality is uh, avoidance behaviors, like where they're trying to block out painful emotions. And that's where we see the drugs uh, come in. You see like drug abuse, sex abuse. Um, y- you know, you, you might become a bit more promiscuous. Just these types of modalities where spending more time numbing out so that we don't feel the pain. And the reason why that's a concern is because as we know the the, the whatever we're taking whether we're, it's weed, whether it's uh you know a harder drug, whether it's a prescription drug or sex or whatever it is at some point they lose their effectiveness. Right at some point, there, there's only so much dopamine that your brain can release. There's only only so much GABA. You know, there's uh, GABA in your brain, and when we take these different drugs, alcohol, even CBD, they they're releasing GABA, which which makes us feel good, but but it it doesn't quite um, unlock it the way that exercise would or a hug would. And, and, and I use the word unlock because I want you to imagine for a second that you are trying to unscrew something, right? And it calls for like a, a Phillips screwdriver, but you don't have a Phillips screwdriver. So what do you do? You go get like a butter knife or, or, or some other makeshift thing that you can wedge in there and twist it. And that's great. However, because it's not the, the right shape, it's not the exact right tool, it doesn't fit exactly, it ends up 
ruining the thread of that screw. So every time you go to screw it and unscrew it, uh, it becomes harder. It requires more effort. is is not as easy, right? As that as that first time, and you know you're ruining uh, the tool also. So it's the same thing when we go to CBD, when we go to alcohol, when we go to these other uh, uh, you know sedatives or even prescription meds. After a certain time, it requires more effort. It requires a higher dosage. And it it never quite unlocks it, and then the damage is done. Um, and not to say that we can't reverse things, but it just takes longer. And, and you know, then you have the withdrawal symptoms, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, avoidance behaviors to block out painful memories. The other correlate of chronic suicidality is uh, poor problem solving skills. And I, I recognize this in myself so much. Where, you know, something like uh, you get a, a parking ticket or you lose your job and you just don't seem to immediately, you know, fill out the paperwork, start turning in applications, uh, start mailing out your resume. It just like one incident doesn't go, you know, you, maybe you uh, you get a C on your test and instead of going to talk to your professor or your teacher or getting a tutor or just studying a little longer, or spending less time studying, or whatever it is, to be able to problem solve, to be able to course correct when things get derailed. And not to say that we should always and are always going to be able to do that, but for the most part, a, a lot, there are just some people who, when um, a, a little thing, when one thing, and I don't want to say a little thing because that's diminutive and... Um, uh, diminishing the the emotion of the in the moment, but when 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 something doesn't go right, you know, it could even be you cook something in the oven and uh, you know it doesn't come out quite right, and you're like, oh, the entire meal is destroyed. No one will eat the whole thing, and it's like, no, it's just the it's just the dish. And if we just add a little paprika or some water, or you know, we could put it in a soup. Like poor problem solving skills, just about life, um, the things that the that are manageable and course correctable or um, that, that we should be able to, to handle for the most part. And then the, the last correlate of chronic suicidality is uh, challenges in interpersonal relationships. And I struggle. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why I have a therapist and a couples therapist right now, you know, because even with my degree, with my education, with this podcast, with all the people that I talk to, there are certain, uh, uh, there's just a, a software and a default that I'm aware that I have. And I am, I want to be more aware of it. And, um, so we need help, and we have to read books, and we have to be diligent, and we can't get to a place where we just go like, oh, I got it. I got it all figured out, because that's it, not the case. It, it's like taking a shower. We have to do the, the little things daily to, to maintain our mental and emotional hygiene. So challenges in, in interpersonal relationships. And I think one of the biggest challenges, especially, you know, for myself and, and a lot of people is 
expressing your feels, you know, how you feel, expressing what you want and expressing what you need, right? Because uh, a lot of us have, and I've said this a million times, you know, our limited um, our vocabulary about how we feel. Uh, it, so it makes it hard to express how we feel. And then if you're not quite sure how you feel, then it's, uh, then it becomes an, a challenge on how to express what you need. Because if you don't know what's really going on for you, then how do you know what you need? It's like, are you hungry? Are you sleepy? Are you bored? Are you tired? Are you lonely? Like, what is it that you feel? And then once we know that, we'll know we can better express what we need. And then you can express what you want. And, you know, I think I did an episode on the difference between needs versus wants, right? A need is internal. Like we have a need for acceptance, a need for safety, a need to be seen, to be heard, to be understood. Um, but our wants are external. Like I want, <laughs> I want an Olympic size swimming pool. I want um, a house on a hill over, overlooking the mountains. Uh, you know, um, I want uh, an outdoor fire pit so all my friends you know, so we can just sit around at night and instead of Netflixing and chilling, you know, we're storytelling and chilling. You know, just so many different things. I guess that goes more in the acceptance community. I don't know. Maybe that's internal. But anyway, but uh, so our, our wants are external, whether it's, you know, getting an A on your paper or getting that job or someone you want to date or get married. Those are external things. Those are wants. But internally, our internal needs are, you know, just it's like it's like why when when women get their hair did, they, they want to they want you to see them. Be like, does he see me? Does he see I got my hair done? You know, my girl got her toes her her uh, toe her nails done the the other day. And I was like, let me see them, let me see them nails, girl. She pop them up over here. Let me see what you let me see what you're working with. And she was like, okay. And so it's, we all want to be seen. We all want to be heard, right? Um, and what, what was the next thing I wanted to go into? And, you know, like I said, some people don't necessarily want to get rid of their, uh, their suicidal thoughts. Uh, it's comforting. It allows them to cope. It's a coping mechanism for some people. And that's okay. And that is okay. I think the, the, what you what we want to be aware of is when um, it becomes more than that, or it becomes too intense, uh, or it becomes visceral. And you'll know it feels different. There are times where I think about it, and it's very soothing. And then there are times where uh, I think about it, and I go, "Oh, that's, that's scary. That's." That that feels like like I feel it in my body more, where like I feel like like I can feel my body um, activating to do something uh, versus just relaxing, calming, and uh, settling in. And I'm like, uh oh, so I'm, I'm gonna need I'm gonna need to call somebody. I got to look at my safety plan, which is what we'll talk about next: the importance of a safety plan. Now, I know you're like, all right, what's the difference between acute and chronic suicidal ideation? So the difference between acute and chronic, right? So acute 
uh, suicide ideation is it's it's alien to the person. This is a person who, um, you know, throughout their life have never really had this thought, and then you know maybe something happened. There's a uh, they they job loss, uh, uh, divorce, break. You know all these different transitions and traumas or things come up. Something changes, and and now they they're just like it's they're compulsively thinking about it. And so it's alien to them. And so it, it's, it's almost like if you've never had a panic attack, you think it's a heart attack and you're like, I'm going to die. And so if, if you've never had the thought of wanting to end your life, you think, wow, I'm going to end my life because I'm, I'm thinking about it. Whereas for someone who uh, has chronic suicidal ideation, it's comforting. It's soothing. Right. They, they, they feel grounded. They're like, oh, there is my friend. That's right. That's right. That's right. You you're right there. Ah, uh, everything's better now. I forgot that that you know that that's an option. Oh, this is great, right? Um, so it's something comforting about the idea of it. The other difference between acute versus chronic is how the therapist gets involved, right? Uh, if you have acute suicide ideation, then the therapist is responsible for your safety. Because it's so foreign to you uh, that, uh, you know, you, we, you may impulsively act on it because you think that you're having a thought that it's something that you must complete. So the therapist uh, definitely should be walking you more through uh, the feel of it and, um, and you know, what's happening and, and coaching you through your thoughts and, and, you know, maybe probably doing some cognitive behavioral therapy with you. Uh, maybe meds, you know, maybe I have to uh, get a psychiatrist involved. But the therapist should really be holding your hand more through it. Versus someone who has chronic suicidal ideation, um, then the, the, you as the client are more responsible for your safety because uh, if it's something that you've been struggling with for uh, a, a long time or managing for a long time then uh, hopefully you do have a safety plan in place. And so you, you kind of know how to guide yourself through this and, and what it means and what it doesn't mean uh, for you, right? So, like, I have a, a safety plan, and I'm, I'm very much aware of, like, oh, okay, I'm having the thoughts. And if the, the thoughts become too rapid or too much, you know, there are people who I, I reach out to and there are things that I do where I'm like, oh, I, gotta, I haven't been outside in a while or, I need to go, you know, be in nature or uh, I, maybe I need to ramp up my workout or decrease my sugars. Like, oh, there's so many different things that, you know, I just start to click through um, to ensure my safety. Also, if uh, the difference between acute and chronic, um, it changes the primary goal of treatment, right? If, uh, if you have acute suicidal ideations, then the goal is more survival and safety, right? Like we just got to get you through this moment. We got to get you through these thoughts. Cause like I said, usually um, acute is brought on by some external factors, uh, external transitions, divorce, um, uh, you know, breakup, grades, something there. There's like a number of triggering events for you. So, we have to think about your survival. How are you going to survive? How are you going to make money? How are you going to get a new job, new school, 
uh, you know, maybe dealing with a bully and, and your safety. Whereas for someone who's, uh, who has chronic suicide ideations, then we're looking at um, healthy coping skills and uh, a reason for living, right? Because, you know, for myself, every day I have to ask myself, what am I looking forward to? Meaning, what's my reason for living? What am I excited about? What's, uh, you know, we got the Super Bowl this week. We got Valentine's Day in Nashville uh, coming up. And, and I have some friends uh, flying out there. And, and the truth is, is like w- when you are uh, depressed or anxious or suicidal, you, you can forget all those things. We can forget all of our anchors. And so we have to remind ourselves daily, like brushing your teeth, what you're looking forward to. As a matter of fact, maybe while you're brushing your teeth, you could be saying, I love you or what you're grateful for or what you are looking forward to, especially at night. What are you looking forward to? What are you grateful for? Um, so those healthy coping skills and, and a reason for living are, are very importante. Now, acute versus chronic uh, changes the effects of hospitalization. So this is very important. I really, uh, I really want to drill down on this. Not and actually, I say drill down like I'm going to spend hours on it. It'll be very short. But um, we always think of so basically, if you are acute, then we're just thinking crisis stabilization, right? That's that's the effect of if you go if if you have an acute. Um, uh, uh, about of suicidal ideation and and we and you are hospitalized then it usually is stabilizing it usually works right that you you're gonna you're gonna live you're gonna leave and um chances are your your attempts will be uh your chances of you attempting again are greatly reduced we've stabilized the situation got help and and then we've Put a plan around you, good to go. Um, that's typically. Now, however, if you're someone who has chronic suicidal ideations, then being hospitalized could lead to a regression, right? It could make you more dependent and um, and and kind of thwart your coping skills, right? Meaning that if you're someone who has chronic suicidal ideations and we, we, we are, are always hospitalizing you, then you never get a chance to really build up your inner resources to cope with the emotions, the feelings, the anger, the, the hopelessness and all those things because it, now you're in a hospital and there's a team of people around you who are basically going to guide you through all that. But, you know, once you leave there, you're not going to have that team around you uh, 24-7. So um, it's, it's re- really like hospitalization is the, the last, it's, it's the last thing we want to do on either side. It's really a last resort, last re- ultimate last resort, because um, we know that it, it, it if, when we talk about hospitalization for um, uh, suicidal, uh, suicidal, suicidality, or even for addiction, it, it has it doesn't have the best outcome uh, for most people. 
And the reason is, is because the environment for the, the person hasn't changed. The, the people that they've surrounded themselves with, the environment, all those things that are contributing factors, their socioeconomic status hasn't changed, um, their relationship status, all those things have not changed. And, you know, when you're hospitalized, you're not in there long enough to really uh, practice and drill down on the uh, coping skills, the, you know, the, the ways that you can self-soothe yourself. It's, uh, you know, it takes, it takes months, if not years to really get it down. I mean, I'm still, I'm still practicing, you know. And then in terms of the length of treatment for someone uh, with suicidal idea, suicidal ideations versus uh, uh, someone who would acute, is uh, acute is going to be short, right? If you're talking to someone who has acute suicidal idea, suicidal ideations, then it's going to be short term. Uh, versus someone who's, who has chronic uh, ideations, then it's going to be much longer. It's going to be because you know you're, there's really a lot to unpack there. And like I said, uh, acute is usually uh, more situational, whereas chronic is um, you know there's probably chemistry and environmental and experiences and um, uh, thoughts and just behaviors and cognitive. There's so much to unravel there that uh, go way back. So that's the difference between uh, chronic and acute. And like I said, it's not about taking suicide off the table, but that we put so much more on the table that uh, it, it anchors you in. Now, I've talked about uh, a safety plan. And the reason why I'm specifically saying safety plan instead of contract or promise, right? Um, first of all, before I go any further, you can go to suicidesafetyplan.com. And I'm going to start linking this in all the show notes also. Suicidesafetyplan.com to create your own safety plan. Now, the reason why you want to use a safety plan versus a contract or promise is that when we make a promise to someone or have a contract with someone, it can lead to a power struggle. I'll say that again. Contracts and promises can lead to a, a, a power struggle. And the reason is, is that when we, uh, when you're signing a contract or you're making a promise, it's usually on the other person's terms. So you haven't had any input. You, you weren't involved in this. They drew something up. They put it in front of you. You said, yeah, it's like, you know, when you sign up for any social media thing, they've already got the contracts drawn up. And then you just click, yes, I accept. You have no idea what you just signed off on but you have an idea that you signed your life away and all your information, right? Um, however, when we come up with a when we come up with a safety plan that is collaborative, that's 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 both of us. It, it involves communication and making sure that your the things that you're feeling are addressed, your wants are addressed, your needs are addressed, and and it's manageable. For you, right? And so when we look at a safety plan, um, it, it we're talking about who are the people, places, and professionals you can reach out to when you're having 
the ideations, right? And then we'll look at, you know, for me, you know, I have some friends. I have uh, places in terms of hiking. Um, and then I have professionals. I have a, I have a whole team of, of people that I'm very grateful for that I can reach out to um, at any time. And then the other part of the safety plan is we look at ways to keep the environment safe, to make sure that, you know, if you do have a gun, that it's unloaded and, you know, there's a code on it and it's put somewhere where um, it, it may be a little hard to get to. I mean, ideally, we would get rid of the gun. Um, or if we're talking about prescription meds, right? It's like, are there pills that we can, can we wean you off of some of these so that you don't get used to uh, taking the pills, right? So how do we keep the environment safe? And it might even involve people or you moving. So, you know, you might live somewhere that might be a threat to you or that you are a threat to the person. And so how do we transition you out of that situation? So when we're looking at the safety plan, first we're looking at, you know, the people, places, and professionals you can reach out to. And we just need like, you know, one to three for each one of those. And then we're looking at ways to keep the environment safe. And then we're looking at uh, coping skills, right? And, and I'm sorry to go back to environment. Maybe we're also talking about your, your workplace. Maybe your workplace isn't, you don't feel safe there. Maybe because of bullying or uh, they're just not up to code with things. So how do we, how do we make you feel safe there? So that's why we like to call it a safety plan because all these areas where we don't feel safe, when we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, safety is number one. Right, it's like food, water, shelter, safety. Like we want to feel safe, and because nothing can really be built until we feel completely safe, right, or uh, mostly safe. Um, and then the third part of our uh, suicide safety plan are coping skills. So how are you going to cope? Because maybe you you call all your all your contacts. And they don't pick up. You know, they're at work. You're not getting a signal. Maybe it's 2 o'clock in the morning. They have their phones off. Maybe the places you want to go aren't accessible because, you know, you live in, like, Utah and there's 20 feet of snow, so you can't leave. Um, and then maybe the professionals you want you uh, have to reach out to are uh, in, other, in sessions, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so then you have to, you know, look at your internal coping skills, whether we're talking about your ujjayi breathing technique, you know, uh, you know, so that you become present. Maybe it's uh, going outside and, you know, getting some of that, taking some of that, some of those fractal patterns, meaning like, you know, getting your eyes moving to kind of reduce your anxiety. Um, you know, we can do that four by four breath. Maybe it's journaling, you know, writing down what you're feeling uh, and um, experiencing in the moment. Maybe it's exercise, you know, in that book, Body Keeps the Score. Uh, so I always say issues are in a tissue. So finding a way to move. Um, reading. For me, reading fiction is one of the top remedies because, or even biographies. For one, you just feel like, oh, I'm not the only one who is struggling with life. I'm not the only one who's gone through this. I'm not the only one who's feeling this. There are other people out there, real people 
even if they're fictional, it, you know that it's these are experiences based on uh, real people or real events or, you know, uh, real happening. So you feel more connected and you feel less alone. So biographies and uh, fiction, right now I'm reading Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky. I just like saying it. I, I, I'm just, to me, it's like, you know how some people brag about their car? I just like saying I'm reading Crime and Punishment. Uh, it's a little ego boost. I'm not going to lie. Uh, now, am I enjoying it? <laughs> it's a tough read. It's not something you want to read before bed. I tell you that much, even though that is what I end up reading when I can't sleep at night. And uh, so coping skills. And then the fourth part of your suicide safety plan is, uh, you know, what are the warning signs? What are your warning signs, right? What are the things where you notice when you start to do it, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm going down uh, a rabbit hole here and I may need to turn this around, right? And so let's talk about that. What are some of the objective, we'll look at subjective and objective uh, signs. One is, obviously, you start to prep. Right, you're starting to you're getting the things ready um, to um, you know carry out said act. Uh, other thing that is a, a warning sign or that shows intent to act is uh, you know you start writing a note or a letter um, to whoever. Uh, the other thing is you, know, you start to put your affairs in order, isn't it? <laughs> You know, it's, it's so strange. It's, our affairs being out of order can trigger us. Excuse me. And and then at this time, we decide, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay my taxes. Um, so you start to get your affairs in order, right? Um, meaning like you, you start, you leave a, a note of, of, of what you're, of what needs to be taken care of, what bills need to be paid, um, who needs to? Who needs what? How often to feed the dog, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then saying goodbye to people, right? Sometimes it's not overt. Just saying goodbye. Sometimes it's a, uh, uh, you know, it, it goes into the last one, which is like giving things away. Sometimes you give somebody something that's really important to you, uh, but you don't necessarily say goodbye. But it's your way of saying goodbye. So when we look at objective. Um, acts that uh, demonstrate intent to act. Um, we're looking at prepping, writing a note, putting affairs in order, um, saying goodbye to people, and giving things away. And then subjectively, meaning that, you know, sometimes you you, you may notice that you, maybe you're talking to a friend and, and, and they might seem heightened and uh, suicidal. And so maybe you want to ask, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, you know, how do you, how suicidal do you feel with 10 being um, I'm most likely going to, uh, you know, uh, uh, do it? And, and so there, there are different ways for us to check in with ourselves and to check in with other people. So, of course, when we talk about the safety plan, we do want to involve, you know, family. We want to get family, friends, whoever uh, involved and, and let people know this is something, listen, this is what I'm struggling with. I let my friends know, my, my, my friends, my family, some of them I could tell were, um, 
you know, I, I don't know how to put it, but, you know, I, I could tell some of them, they, they were unsure of what it meant and what they were supposed to do or say in that moment, which I completely understand. And then some were just like, all right, cool, you know, and, um, and I, there's, so there are people that I reach out to and I, and I let them know, I go, listen, you know, this is when I reach out to you, this is what I need you to say. And, uh, and, or I just need you not to say anything. I just need to know that I can say all these things and not be judged and not have you worry about it. I just need to know that I have a space to, uh, fully express myself. And, and that's soothing and comforting uh, for me. Um, and then another thing that if you are talking to someone who may be experiencing chronic suicidal ideation is to ask them, like, how does thinking about suicide help you? And how does it hurt you? You know, for me, if I were to answer those, I would say it helps me because uh, it relaxes me. It, it kind of tucks me in at night sometimes. Or it just gets me through a tough and painful moment. Or, you know, um, or a heightened moment that I'm, maybe I want to avoid. And I'm, and just knowing that um, I can end my life kind of helps me get through the moment and push through. Um, how does it hurt me? Uh, it, it hurts me in a way where maybe I'm not, it may prevent me from looking at how to show up more enthusiastic or more engaged or more excited about, whatever it is does that if that makes sense so say like uh, there are times where like I'm fighting sleep at night and I can feel so fighting sleep and for whatever reason I I just stay up anyway which I am going to talk about in a future episode because I I read some things about why we fight sleep and I I think it's gonna you're gonna love it um and I, I but so it it helps me and in, in like when I, when I think about ending my life, I go, all right, I'm relaxed. I go to bed now. But it, but it prevents me from really getting to the root of why I'm fighting sleep because I, I've just I kind of chose to the, the mentally numb out. And so how you want to do that is if you do find yourself using um, the thought of suicide to soothe yourself, then to make sure you make a note and say, you know what, tomorrow I'm going to look at that and figure out what was going on last night and, and or, you know, yesterday. What what led up to that moment um, so that it doesn't it doesn't always become your default for that situation, right? Um, now, cognitive behavioral therapy, right? Thoughts and behaviors uh, have shown to be the the best uh, method to challenge and change suicidal thoughts, right? Um, you know, in those moments, we want to observe and we want to accept um, the feeling and the thoughts. I, I think a lot of us are, we fight the thoughts and we are like, ah, why do I keep thinking about this? And it's not about getting rid of the thoughts. It's about accepting it, right? It's about learning. Really, when we talk about acceptance, it's about learning how to relate to it differently, how to relate to that pain differently, right? Because uh, pain is a part of life. Uh, but trauma is is pain plus resistance. So if we resist the, the, the trauma, if we 
or, or we resist the, the pain and act like it's not there, then it causes more trauma. So we want to learn to accept our thoughts. Like Winston Churchill called it his black dog. You know, you got to make friends with it. You have to cozy up to it, you know. Um, and when you are having the thoughts is to ask yourself, what's the evidence that it's true, right? And it, meaning that, you know, a lot of times when we are thinking about ending our lives, we're thinking about uh, catastrophes and, and how horrible this thing is and how it's going to get 10 times worse. It'll never get better. And so to really take time and be like, oh, hold on. But what's the evidence that, that it's true, that it'll never get better? Have, have, have there anything that's never gotten better? Has uh, people never, have people never rebounded from, you know, job loss or divorce or, you know, from uh, even a health scare, you know? Um, I'm looking at, the, who's it? I forget the football player's name who has ALS and a doctor said he'd be dead in six months. And I think he's been um, going for like 20 years now. He's remarkable. He's remarkable. Um, but the other question you can ask yourself when you're having the thoughts is like, what would you say to somebody else? You know, they have a thing called the empty chair technique where you get to talk to an empty chair and, um, as if it's yourself or someone else that you really want to relate to. So what would you say to somebody else? So, um, you know, learn how to observe and accept the thoughts and the ideas and learn how to relate to it differently. How do you cozy up to, I like the word, cozy, cozy. Yeah, you know, because we know like when you su suppress thoughts, it makes the thoughts stronger. Acceptance doesn't mean that you accept the thoughts or that suicides are in inevitable. It just means that you learn to relate to it differently. So thoughts do not define us. It's almost like... um. Like a train, imagine like you're on a, at a train station and you can decide to get on the train or you can decide to just let it go by. And that's what your thoughts are like. Do you want to get on a train of those thoughts or do you want to let the train keep going by? Yeah, You got to sing every now and again. You know, what's funny is I'm always singing a thing and I hate show. I hate um, musicals. I did love Hamilton, though. That was incredible. But that don't really count because they were rapping. Anyway, um, if you are a therapist who is working with someone who has chronic uh, suicide ideation, then uh, you have to work. We have to work on maintaining hope because, you know, I work with clients who are struggling with suicide ideations. And so for me, I'm always finding signs of hope. I like to look at the future of things like the future of cars. Uh, I like to fantasize about the future of my relationship with Michelle and our house with the pool and then uh, the sunroof over the bathtub and <laughs> and all the places we will go. Um, and also, like, you know, one of the things I, I also don't do is I don't practice in isolation. So if you're someone who, you know, you have a, a child or a significant other, like, don't feel like you have to do this by yourself, right? Like make sure you have an outlet for someone or some people that, that you can talk to because we know that like for therapists, uh, 10 to 50% of 
therapists have suicidal thoughts. That's a wide range of numbers. They, I don't know why they couldn't <laughs> bring that in. 10 to 50%. All right. I guess that depends on, you know, what part of the, the country they're in, et cetera, et cetera. And then also, if you're working with someone or um, you're taking care of someone who has chronic suicide ideations, don't forget to have fun. Don't, don't get so bogged down in the ideations that um, it becomes your world, your life, and you forget to laugh and have fun. Uh, Michelle and I, we've been watching, we watch White Tiger and Marriage Story. So we're definitely due for a funny movie or Curb Your Enthusiasm episode or something. Uh, so have fun outdoors, you know, um, preferably, but I like I understand that some of you are uh, demographically challenged, whether it's by snow or, uh, you know, just a, a dangerous neighborhood. But find ways to have fun, you know, to, to lighten the load, things that will bring you pleasure. I just bought a didgeridoo. I don't know if you know what a didgeridoo is. It's like uh, they use it in New Zealand. It's, a, it's, a, it's like a horn. And, uh, and I bought an endo board. So I'm just, I'm just lacing a place with things that will keep me active, engaged. And my favorite new thing that I, I bought are uh, I bought uh, sand hourglasses because uh, one's a five-minute sand hourglass and the other's 30 minutes. And the five-minute I use for my tea. So it's kind of fun to, you know, make tea and then steep it uh, using the, the hourglass. And then the 30-minute one I use for reading because I, I realize, like, if I trying to read something for more than 30 minutes my reading slows down and my back doesn't like it so it's a reminder for me to get up and move every uh 30 minutes so i hope this was all helpful to you you know uh to reiterate create a suicide safety plan and remember it's not about getting rid of the thoughts it's about how do we cozy up to it how do we make friends with it and and also you know, hospitalizations for someone with chronic suicidality, uh, it could lead to regression. It could make things actually worse. So uh, we, we don't want to say, we don't want to do that. So go to uh, suicidesafetyplan.com to print off your suicide safety plan today. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and just remember, all the phone numbers, you know, 1-800-SUICIDE, 1-800-273-TALK, all those things are in the show notes, and now I'm going to put the suicidesafetyplan.com in the show notes. You can always go to Thrive with Leo for one-on-one coaching with yours truly if you, you are you know, thriving in your career and killing it at work, but you are struggling in your relationships, whether that's your relationship with yourself, your family, your friends. You, know, you, you feel connected at work, but you feel alone at home. Uh, go to thrivewithleo.com and let's get you connected. Let's get you, uh, let's find you some meaning and purpose and, uh, and, and get you to tomorrow. So with that said, usually that's how I start the pod. With that said, let's jump into the episode. Uh, good night or good morning or, uh, thank you for enjoying me. All right. This ending is way too long, uh, Let's get to tomorrow together.